From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research and education. Today, we look at the prospect of reopening schools in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and new guidance issued by the American Academy of Pediatrics designed to help districts and local officials plan for the challenges that lay ahead. We can expect that many jurisdictions will still have a public health recommendation that those group sizes should be 10 or less. And so then how do you take a class that typically has 20 to 25 kids and provide appropriate instruction, but also make sure that you are providing in-person instruction when you can. We speak with Dr. Nathaniel Beers, a pediatrician and member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on School Health. He discusses the Academy's guidance and some key planning considerations for districts, schools, and families across the country. While it is currently May, it will rapidly be August, and as schools are reopening, families will be looking to make sure that their child is going to be safe in that environment, and staff will be looking for guidance from the school about how they stay safe as well. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith T. Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Nathaniel Beers, pediatrician and a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on School Health. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Beers. It's my pleasure. So following months of COVID-related school closures and an unprecedented shift to online learning, uh, policymakers, states, districts, and schools are all now beginning to look toward the fall and the prospect of resuming in-person instruction. There are so many factors to consider there, and as I'm sure you would agree, the primary concern is going to be the health and safety of students, teachers, staff, and communities. To aid in that discussion, the American Academy of Pediatrics has released new planning considerations to help officials determine when and in what manner it will be safe to open schools. So uh, to start, could you just tell us a little bit about this guidance itself? What is it based on and what do you hope stakeholders will take away from it? Certainly. I think the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, as you noted, wanted to try and help fill some of the void that school districts and, and parents and communities were experiencing and thinking through sort of what is the, the safest way to go about thinking about opening schools again and how do we ensure the safety of, as you noted, the the students, the staff, the teachers, as well as sort of the broader community. And I think what we didn't want to do was put out a blanket set of recommendations that said this is the only way to do it, recognizing that the disease burden is different in different areas and the recommendations from local health departments vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and that uh, we needed to make sure that in those conversations that pediatricians and parents had what they needed to be able to start to be part of that conversation. And so uh, we tried to frame it in that way in order to make sure that it could be a useful part of the dialogue and make sure that uh, some of the questions that have been bubbling up around social distancing, around uh, children with disabilities, um, around group sizing, uh, that there was some logical framework to start to move forward uh, in thinking through those questions. The guidance includes a number of factors that districts, in collaboration with state and local health departments, 
should be considering when planning to resume in-person instruction, uh, ranging from COVID-19 testing availability and school sanitation practices to academic expectations and even things like school athletic programs. To begin, and you know, we're talking now at the end of May, what do you think should be the primary consideration right now for districts that are planning to reopen later this year? Yeah, I would say there's two really big things that school districts need to figure out as they contemplate reopening. The first is, uh, how are they going to manage social distancing and safety for staff and students? And the second, which is almost as critical in my mind, is what are they going to do when there are additional cases? No matter when we reopen, uh, there will be some additional cases. And so how is the school district going to respond? How are they going to notify families? The components that families struggled with this spring was a lot of miscommunication and, and lack of clarity about what the plan was going to be. And so the thing that will be most helpful for families as they are planning is having a clear picture of what that's going to look like. I think on the social distancing side, as schools work that through, there are a lot of different types of things that schools are thinking through. Uh, ranging from alternating days, ranging from alternating times of day for different students, and also figuring out how distance learning fits in together with in-person learning going forward so that you can make sure that that plan uh, realistically captures a plan that is going to make sure that students are safe. And it has to get down to the level of, are kids going to be transitioning from class to class uh, and creating traffic in the hallways, or are teachers going to do that transition? What are the bathroom rules going to be for that school building? And, and are you going to allow an entire class to go to the bathroom and have 10 to 15 kids in the bathroom? Or do you need to have fewer kids in the bathroom um, at any given time? There's certainly, along with the social distancing issues, uh, the issue around masking uh, and what's the right decision for different age children. What we know for sure is that our youngest kids, two and under, that really masking is not appropriate. But I do think there's additional dialogue in the public health space right now around how to contemplate masking for elementary school children. Is it really going to be protective or because they fiddle with their masks so frequently and are touching their face every five seconds? when they have a mask on, that it's really not an appropriate way for them to be protecting themselves or others. Just following up on that, do you think that schools and districts should be prepared for continued either legal or, or general restrictions on things like headcount, uh, close contact, the social distancing regulations that we've seen now? Should schools and districts be prepared that they maybe can't have a certain number of students in a classroom at the same time. Yeah, so I think um, what we know from the public health recommendations is that we can expect that there will be size restrictions that are ongoing for some period of time. I think the question will be as we get to the start of next school year in August and September, depending on what school district you're in, whether or not we'll be in a place where we can relax any of those group sizes. Most states, as they reopen, are still recommending that group sizes stay less than 10. And really, until we are much further out, uh, they are not recommending much larger group sizes. And so uh, we can expect that many uh, jurisdictions will still have a public health recommendation that those group sizes should be 10 or less. 
And so then how do you take a class that typically has 20 to 25 kids, maybe even 30 kids, and provide appropriate instruction, but also make sure that you are providing in-person instruction when you can, particularly for our elementary age kids where we know that there will be challenges. I think we also, as you noted in the earlier question, the questions uh, around group size are particularly pertinent as we think about what should happen with extracurricular activities, sports, drama, other programs where kids are coming together in, in sometimes much larger groups, um, and how do you, as a school district, think through together with your public health department about which sports can be played safely, uh, which sports really cannot be played safely, are there going to be fans allowed at sporting events? If so, how are you going to ensure appropriate spacing? And all of those components are part of what are a critical component of schools reopening and having decisions made as though they haven't been thought out before they're upon us. Because while it is currently May, it will rapidly be August. And as schools are reopening, families will be looking to make sure that their child is going to be safe in that environment, and staff will be looking for guidance from the school about how they stay safe as well. And um, just you had mentioned a little bit earlier about the possibility of either flare-ups or new cases. Um, Should schools and districts be prepared to close again or eliminate in-person instruction again this fall? And is there any guidance for how schools might want to think about that at this time? There is some preliminary guidance from the CDC that came out uh, as part of uh, the White House plan for reopening around schools and thinking through sort of what should that closure look like. Um, We also will have some evidence from other countries that have reopened and how they've managed uh, to control additional spread as there uh, have been more cases. There is a framework that suggests that in the most simple way to think about it, uh, you could think about the fact that if there was a a case in a classroom within a school, you could close that classroom down um, and not impact the rest of the school if you have reduced uh, the traffic in your school building appropriately. If you have multiple classes that have cases, there is conversation that maybe at that point you need to contemplate some short period of closure for the school itself. And then the question becomes, as you have cases across multiple schools, do you need to shut down the school district again? And is it sufficient to shut it down for a 14-day period as opposed to some of these prolonged closures uh, going forward? I think that piece over top of, right, what are you going to do if everyone can't come to school at the same time is part of where uh, school districts need to continue to figure out how they're going to manage distance learning to make sure that that we don't continue to experience slide and educational attainment going forward. In addition to those sort of bigger, more practical concerns, the Academy's guidance also includes a number of student considerations, um, including services and support for mental health issues and students with disabilities. Um, And as we're seeing in new projections from researchers, there's also a very real possibility that schools will have to contend with a COVID slide or significant academic loss resulting from prolonged school closures. Could you walk us through some of the main student considerations districts should have in mind right now? 
sure. I think, um, as you mentioned, right, what we what we know from the academic literature on the education side is that there's well-documented evidence that during the summertime uh, that students experience what is referred to often in the colloquial terms as the summer slide, right, which is you have eight to ten weeks off from school, and in fact, you see slippage in educational gains that you may have made the previous year, and so there's some catch-up that teachers need to be prepared to do as students show up in the classroom in the fall. People are postulating uh, is that because of the the amount of time that kids have been out of school, that that slide may be more substantial, and the gains that students may have made in the spring may be less uh, than they would have otherwise been if they were in person. And so how do schools start to think through how do they prepare for those issues. And part of what you noted in our guidance is making sure that schools are also cognizant of the emotional burden that COVID has placed on students and staff, and that uh, not only have you experienced this challenge around slippage of academic gains, but you also have a student body and a a workforce uh, who have been under extreme anxiety may or may not have had family members who were impacted by COVID, including death, communities which um, have struggled with accessing resources that they would typically access through the school. So nutrition resources, certainly many kids are reliant on school lunch, breakfast, and sometimes supper as well. And so as well as behavioral health supports and supports for kids with disabilities, um, that we, they would typically get during the school day um, that are not currently being provided or being provided in suboptimal way through any telehealth services or teleeducation services. And so uh, as schools are planning for this, they need to make sure that they uh, are providing that social-emotional support for the students and staff so that they can be able and ready to learn They also need to be prepared to assess where students are so that they can make sure that they differentiate the education in a way that allows those students to access it. And they're going to have to assess our students with disabilities to make sure that if there were services that they missed, that they uh, figure out how to support that student in catch-up so that they can be available for uh, education more broadly. And so those are some big components, I think, as well, as we hear more and more about some of these sort of partial reopenings, I think that will only magnify the social-emotional needs that are going on uh, and the ability of staff to um, have the supports that they need from a behavioral health perspective uh, to support kids when they are in the building, but also those days that they may not be in the building due to additional closures or because they are having some type of staggered schedule where they may not be in the building every day. Unfortunately, we don't have the time here to discuss the entirety of the Academy's guidance, uh, which listeners can find on the American Academy of Pediatrics website, which is aap.org. But are there any considerations or strategies we didn't already discuss here that you feel might be especially vital for districts or school leaders at this stage of the pandemic? Yeah, I think that um, there are a number of components that um, that I would highlight for school districts in particular and, and school leaders. And I would say that first and foremost, 
it is incredibly critical to continue the communication uh, with their staff and with the students and families. There's a lot of ambiguity right now about what the plans are, and yet you will find that staff and parents and families in the broader community uh, really want schools to be successful and want uh, kids to be able to be back in school safely uh, with staff who are safe as well. And so I would say that communication is a really critical component. I would also say to make sure that, that you are working uh, hand in glove with uh, your public health partners. Um, it is really very important to make sure that you have the most up-to-date information on your community and that you are prepared uh, to address the public health concerns as you prepare to reopen schools. And the final thing I will say is that schools should continue to encourage families to reach out to their pediatricians as a resource to help them plan for re-entry in school. That child who may be healthy um, but maybe having anxiety right now can be supported by their pediatrician right now to make sure that they are prepared to re-enter school uh, when that time comes. In addition, making sure that kids are getting the needed vaccines that they have from their pediatricians, and many pediatricians' offices are still offering those uh, vaccines right now, and so families should be in place. And then particularly for our kids with disabilities who may have more complex needs, and may need some help making a decision about when's right for their child who has complex medical needs, that pediatrician is really truly a resource uh, to help both the parent and the school district make a decision about that individual child whose needs may be a little different than the general population, but want to make sure that they are in a place to make a decision about when they can safely return to school. And if they can't return at the same time as other students, what types of uh, support should be put in place to help them go forward. And so I think those are sort of three areas that school districts should continue to sort of pay attention to that we have not previously discussed. Once again, the full guidance and planning considerations prepared by the American Academy of Pediatrics is now publicly available at aap.org. Dr. Nathaniel Beers, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRE Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRE Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub. <laughs>